Thank you, Chris and Praise Team, for leading us in, in worship through song this morning. At this time, I'd like to dismiss the children that have pre-registered for Children's Church to make your way towards your right. You'll see Miss Amy there at the door, and she will lead you to children's worship this morning. For those of us that will be remaining in here, I want to encourage you to please take your copy of God's Word and open it to the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 will be our focus this morning as we begin this series, working our way through 1 Thessalonians. As you're turning there, I, I want to give just another report to you regarding my daughter Emma. Still a word of thanksgiving. Uh, she is still, we feel like, getting stronger. It's, it's inch by inch, little by little. So I don't have any big steps forward, but at the same time, there's not a step backward to share. So I'm very grateful for that. She's continuing, we feel like, to grow in her level of alertness and her response to us with her, her nods yes, her shaking her head no, and even smiles. Uh, so we are very grateful and ask you to continue praying, praying for Emma, for me and Jody and Samuel. Last week we were introduced to this church at Thessalonica. From the book of Acts we find out that this church was born in a crucible of fire. As Paul preached the gospel among the Jews, well, they didn't respond very well, or the leadership didn't. They resented Paul, jealous of his message, jealous of the response. And so they began persecuting him, persecuting the church. The Roman government was brought into it because the message of the gospel is simply this. Jesus is Lord. That was viewed as a threat to the Roman Empire. So persecution was on the horizon there. So Paul is, is snuck out of Thessalonia, out of Thessalonica. He's only gone a few months when he writes back to them because even though he was absent physically, his heart was still with them. And so he writes this letter, his very first letter, the earliest New Testament document, to encourage this church. And as he encourages them, we gain encouragement. He writes to, to admonish them, and as he admonishes them, we grow in the faith because the words that Paul wrote are the word of God. They are alive and active and applicable to us today. So follow with me as I read verses 1 through 3. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, I thank you for your gracious love. And I ask you, Father, to accomplish your purpose among us this morning. And I pray that confidently knowing that your word will always, without fail, accomplish the purpose for which you send it. Be glorified in our reception of your word and in our response to it. In the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. I confess to you that I had to go to the dictionary several times to be sure I was using the right vice. You see there's two different vices. There's V-I-S-E, which refers to the tool you see there that is uh, found often in workshops that will hold something so that it can be worked upon. And then there's the other type of vice, V-I-C-E, 
which speaks of something immoral, something wrong. And in all actuality, I could really put that in there also. Because the church at Thessalonica was experiencing both. You see, it was a V-I-C-E filled culture with immorality running rampant. In fact, what was said to Thessalonica then regarding purity can also be said now. And the temptations faced in purity were a chance to display virtue. But where I want to focus this morning deals with the V-I-S-E. Pressure. Stress. Something we're all too familiar with. You see, the early church was feeling the squeeze of persecution. In many ways, their story is our story. It was an outright persecution, but it was on, on the horizon. Horizon coming from the culture around them. And stress, whether it is on a large level felt by the church in general, or stress felt by you as individuals, will always work to reveal the content of our hearts. It reveals what's inside. The tragedy of the Titanic has certainly been etched into our collective thinking as a culture and well documented how on April 1912 the ship went down killing over 700 poor tragic people. There are many stories of heroism, stories of sacrifice, Men who, who placed their wives and children on the lifeboats and then stepped back following the code, women and children first. And if that meant their deaths in order to save the women and the children, then so be it. But there are also stories that are not as heroic. Such as the story of Bruce Ismay. Bruce Ismay was the director and chairman of the board of the White Star Lines. And you could say in many ways he was the owner of the Titanic. And he was on the ship. And he survived the sinking because he stepped onto a lifeboat. Now after the rescue, he explained there were no women and children around. I mean, there was no one else to get on, so I just stepped on board. However, eyewitness testimony later later came to the forefront that there were women and children waiting and he without hesitation stepped on board. The rest of his days were lived in infamy because at that one moment of stress and panic and fear the content of his heart was revealed. Now we may never face a situation like that but the reality is that the everyday stressors of life will reveal the content of our heart. That pressure is like an x-ray showing the good, the bad, and the ugly. I know of businessmen who will not enter into a business agreement with any other partner until they play golf with that partner because they want to see how they respond in adversity. It's been said you can tell a lot about a person by how they handle tangled up Christmas lights. Those things reveal our hearts. So it is here with this letter to the church at Thessalonica. We get a picture into their heart because that's what Paul focuses upon. Now, I want you to notice that he begins in verse 2 with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a constant theme throughout the totality of this letter. It's something that Paul does. 
And it's woven throughout so that in the midst of stress, he focuses upon what he is thankful for and he presents to the church what he sees in them by thanking God because he knows this. The response of the church to stress comes from God. Believer, your response to stress should come from our Lord. Now, I want you to look back to verses 1 and 2, or verse 1, I'm sorry. This is the welcome, the greeting, and it's often something we overlook because we consider it perfunctory. It's kind of like whenever you go into a, a grocery store and you're making your way through the cashier and they start checking out your groceries and they say, welcome, we're glad you're here, thank you for shopping with us. Well, you know they're just saying it because they have to. That's not so with Paul because I want you to notice something. After he identifies himself Silvanus, who is Silas, and Timothy, what does he say? To the church of the Thessalonians, look at the next phrase. In God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's crucial. Because he's setting the stage for what he's about to write in the rest of the letter. Typically he would say the church of God, but he says in, signifying two things. First, this church exists because of God. It's a reminder that we as a congregation do not exist as a social club. We do not exist as any sort of a fraternity or sorority. We exist because God brought us into existence through Jesus Christ. We are His. Therefore, it is God who sets the tone for the church. It is God who gives the church her orders for how to respond in this world. Furthermore, it says because the church is in God, what is needed for the church to be the church is found through Him. The resources we need to live out what Paul is about to write are found in God. It is so easy for us to start thinking in terms of what we can do, what we can accomplish, how we can have a witness. The question we need to be asking is, what can God accomplish through us? What can God supply through us? What can God do through us? Because the power and the resources are His. We are in Him. Now with that said, Paul then moves to thank God for what he's doing within the church. And what he thanks them for revolves around this word, virtue. Where he begins thanking God is not for the size of the church, not for their, their resources. He begins by thanking God for the virtue that they are displaying in the vice of persecution they are experiencing. Now, keep in mind that virtue is this. Virtue is moral excellence. Virtue is that which conforms to what is morally right. This is a word that's unique in our time today. Today we'll speak of virtues like love, but our problem is this, that there is no outside standard that the world recognizes to deem what is morally right. Today what is morally right is what leads to the individual's greatest freedom. So therefore, virtue is deemed as what makes you, truly you, is what is morally right. We as the church stand in contrast to that. Because we recognize that God is the standard for right and wrong. God is absolute truth. So our issue is this. Virtue means living life according to what God has revealed as morally acceptable. Now this may beg the question then, what's the difference between virtue and character? Now they're related. Virtue would be the house. Character would be the, the studs that hold up the house. 
Virtue would be like the bricks that support the house. So character is what makes a virtue. Now, let's look at this for an example. We're going to look at love in just a few moments. Love would be the house. According to the scripture then, the characteristics that make up love would be, for, I'm just giving three of them, kindness, compassion, generosity. For every virtue, the three virtues that we will look at today, there are characteristics that will come out in our lives that will reflect those virtues. Let it be said that we are a virtuous people. That when the stress is on, we respond by, re, 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 by showing the virtues that come from being in God. There are three cardinal virtues in the scripture, three theological virtues. Faith, hope, and love. The character of the Christian will flow from these virtues. And these virtues will flow from being in God. These are not found only here in 1 Thessalonians. These virtues are found throughout the New Testament. Perhaps the place they are best known is from the book of 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, where Paul wrote, Now faith, hope, and love abide but these th of these three, but the greatest of these is love. Now, I, I want to add a caveat here. I don't want to be accused of preaching salvation via virtue. These virtues do not merit salvation. We cannot be faithful enough, hopeful enough, or loving enough to earn God's favor. These things flow out of being in a relationship with God through Christ. Because each of these virtues are a response to who God is. Hopefully that will become clear as we work our way through this. So let's begin with these virtues that Paul thanks God for. I draw your attention to verse 3. He says, I remember, remembering before our God and Father, first of all, your work of faith. So let's start there. First virtue is faith. Let's be clear. Our faith is in God. Now you may think, Pastor, you don't have to say that, but I've often found the things we think go without saying are the very things that need to be said. Let's be clear that our faith is in God. I often think of the psalm that says, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. You see, faith is a response to who God is and what He has done. In fact, you can define faith this way. Faith is belief shown by confident living. Faith gives courage. Courage is a character, character trait. Courageous actions come from faith in God because we know that God is faithful to do and to act in ways that are in accordance with His character. You see, the ultimate reason for faith is what God has done primarily in the death and resurrection of Jesus. We know that God loves us. Amen? That was, a, that was weak. Do you know that God loves you? You know how I can say that? Because if God did not withhold the, His Son, who died on a cross and rose from the dead because we were sinners, how can we doubt His love? And because He has shown such great love, we have faith that because God has invested so much within us, He will not leave us. But this is what is crucial. Faith is not just a feeling. Going through high school in the 80s, kind of is shocking in, in a way, brings a smile to my face to walk in the grocery store and hear 1980s music for their Muzak now. One of the group's journey has a song that still circulates today. 
You know what it is. It deals with, don't stop believing. Yeah, even now, some of you are singing that. You know what's funny about that song? It never tells you what to believe in. What is it you refuse to stop believing? Belief? I'm just believing, man. It's all I'm doing, just believing. We know the Bible doesn't leave faith nebulous. Faith is always, always, always in something. Always. So the issue is not, will you have faith? But where is your faith placed? Our faith is in God. And that faith must be shown by how we live. Faith is much more than just a doctrinal statement. Faith acts based upon that truth. Notice what he says there in verse 3. Work of faith. Work is singular. He's not giving a list that show do this, 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 and this to show your faith. He's saying work. In other words, the energy you express in every aspect of your life is to demonstrate your faith in God. Your faith in the assurance that He is that. We give because we know that God is faithful. We, we risk sharing the gospel because we know God is faithful. You see, in every part of our lives, our relationships, our resources, every part of it is to demonstrate the faith that we have in God because there is no part of our life that is untouched by who God is. So our faith, this virtue of faith, comes out in response to God. Now remember what he said in verse 1, church in God if you are in God and you know who God is, you will live a life with assurance. Isn't that the answer to the fear that we often face? The anxiety? But it gets even better. Look at this next virtue. Our love is from God. This next virtue is described as a labor, your labor of love. Now the object is missing here, it's indefined. This is not because it's nebulous, but it's because the love of God that He gives to us is expressed in love for others. There's always a vertical component and a horizontal component to love, always. How do we show that we have experienced the love of God and how we love others? Chris read it earlier from 1 John. Beloved, how do we know that we know God? Because we love one another. Love is of God. Because God is love. Now, this is not a nebulous, gooey type of love. That type of love is fickle. Fades. It's here one day, gone the next. The word for love here is that familiar one among believers. Agape. Sacrificial, committed love. A love that seeks the best for the other person, even when they are at their worst. Isn't that the love that God demonstrated on the cross? That while you and I were still sinners, He died on that cross for us. And once we experience that love, we are to share it with one another. Once again, keep in mind, God is like the socket. When we are plugged into Him, that love flows through us and is demonstrated with one another. We start within the church with one another. Beloved, love one another. Keeping in mind that love is sacrifice. So as stress comes into our lives, instead of responding with apathy or anger, our response must be one of how can I sacrifice for you to show the love of Christ? 
how can we sacrifice for one another? Within your families, when stress arises in families, how do you respond to each other? Does anger dictate your response? Or do you stop for a moment to say, you know what, in this moment of stress, how can I demonstrate the love of Christ by sacrificially serving one another? Then we expand the picture. Jesus didn't just leave us with the command, love one another. What did he say? Love your enemies. Oh, Lord, why did you go to meddling now? You mean I've actually got to love those that persecute me? I've got to love those who I disagree with? I've got to love those who speak ill of Christ? And the answer to all of the above is yes. Is that easy? No. That's why Jesus said, take up the cross and follow me. Let it be said of the church that as, as, as political winds change, as cultural winds become a hurricane, the church will not be blown over, but our response must be one of love. Speaking the truth in what? Love. That's the virtue that needs to be demonstrated in our lives because the unbelieving world that is attacking us is hungry to know a love that goes beyond the mere superficial, a love that goes beyond the what have you done for me lately love that surrounds our culture. That is the labor of love. In fact, the only difference between labor and work is that labor is a bit more strenuous. We are reminded that love is costly. But church, if we are to proclaim the gospel, it must be done so with loving actions matched by words that speak the truth in love. It's what our world hungers for. You see this so frequently around us. It's amazing to me how many movies present this desire, this theme for sacrificial love. That the day is saved by sacrificial love. A person sacrificing themselves, whether it be the Lord of the Rings or Avengers Endgame. Whether it be Beauty and the Beast or Saving Private Ryan. Two movies on the opposite extremes. You know what both of them have in common? A person sacrifices themselves for the benefit of another. You know why that theme surfaces time and time again in movies? It's what we hunger for. To know that someone loves me enough to lay down their life. And church, we can point to the one, the greatest one ever, the Lord himself, who died, laid down his life that we might have life and conquered the grave that we might dwell in and experience such love. This is the virtue that we must show. We must demonstrate faith faithful living, the assurance that God is in control and is acting. We must demonstrate love in sacrificial ways. And we must also, this is the third virtue, our hope must be in the Lord Jesus. Hope is crucial. You know how you respond when there's no hope? Anger? Despair? Despondency. You take away hope and people have no impetus to act. But we of all people, rather than lowering our heads and drooping our shoulders and saying, oh, there's no hope, we among all people should lift our heads, throw our shoulders back and say, as long as God is on the throne, there is hope. Fear not. 
Because that is our confidence. You see, hope is the conviction of this, that God will finish the work that he has begun. This is the conviction that we live with. There are better days ahead. The conviction that we live with that now is not the end of the story. The conviction that we know that God is working all things for His glory and the good of those that love Him are called according to His purpose. Once again, the issue is not that we would hope, but where is our hope? We must be certain that our hope is in God because God alone can accomplish the things that are needed to bring about redemption. Redemption lies only in God. So church, our hope is in God because of this. God can do everything but fail. Did you know that? God can do everything but fail. Therefore, why would we be hopeless? Our God can do everything but lie. Therefore, why should we be hopeless? God is not going to say one thing and do another. Our hope is in God because He can and will do everything for His glory except forsake His people. Therefore, why should we be downcast? That's the language we need to talk to ourselves. I don't know about you, but there are some times that I feel down in the dumps. You know, aren't there just days that are just hard? You don't know why, but there are just days. Maybe it's me, I don't know, because not, none of you are shaking your heads. So this is pastoral confession. Some days are just hard. It's on those days that I practice Psalm 42. You know what Psalm 42 says? Why are you downcast, oh my soul? Trust in the Lord. You know what? Sometimes you need to give yourself a good talking to. Just to stop for a moment and say, why am I downcast? And then, this is what Satan will do. The minute you ask that and you start saying, why am I downcast? Satan will say, oh, well, let me tell you why you're downcast. Have you seen your kids' grades? You know why you're downcast? Look at the stock market. You know why you're downcast? And that's where you say, but God. But God is in control. But, but, but things are bad. But God is sovereign. But God loves me. But God can do everything but fail. And notice the result of that. Notice what Paul said in verse 3. Your steadfastness of hope. Sometimes we just need to be steadfast. To plug along. That's what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians when he said, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That's hope. Be steadfast. Stand firm. Lord, I'm not going to give in and I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep pressing on. Now, how do we apply all this? Stress is going to happen. So I want to give you three things view of application virtue in the vice when pressure comes and it will it's been said there's only one stress-free place on this earth and that's the cemetery okay that'll hit you a little bit later first is this don't justify your response there are times when every one of us when we are stressed we are going to respond in a way that is not pleasing to God now shame the devil and tell the truth all of us I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of you have ever lost it over the smallest thing? You drop the screw and boom, that's it. I'm done, I'm done, I'm out of here. This was stupid anyway, I didn't want to do it. Okay, when you come face to face with those times, don't justify the response. You see, there, there's a common excuse that says, well, that's just the way I am. 
I know I lost my temper, but that's just the way I am. Oh, I know I spouted off and I said things that I shouldn't, but that's just the way I am. You knew that when you married me. Now, think about that excuse for a moment. How many other things in life would we let that slide? Yeah, yeah, I know I stole that, but I'm just a thief. That's just the way I am. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I, was, I had an adulterous affair, but that's just the way I am. It's okay. You knew that when you married me. Just the way I am. Would you say, oh, you're right. That's just the way you are. No. You would say that response does not match up with the moral standard we see in God. Now, we don't justify our response in order to beat ourselves up with condemnation. That's what Satan wants you to do. We acknowledge, Lord, this is called confession. I sinned against you. And you know what that may also entail? Going to the person whom you yelled at. I can remember when our oldest daughter, Ellen, was about three or four years old. And something, I don't even remember what it was. But I lost my temper. And I remember with the rage and blood vessels in my voice, I said, Ellen, how old are you? And she said, I'm three. And I said, well, act like it. Isn't there something about stress that makes you illogical? That response was wrong. So as I confessed it to the Lord, I also went to my little girl. And I said, Daddy responded in anger, and it was wrong. Confess it. Don't dwell in condemnation. Experience the goodness of the gospel. And then do this. Determined to seek Christ. Now, I take you back to that little phrase, in God. These virtues are not isolated. In other words, these virtues are not the church at Thessalonica saying, okay, okay, I'm going to be faithful, I'm going to be loving. They're not trying to muster these things up within themselves. They come from being connected to God. The more you know of God, guess what? The more you know He won't fail. The more you know of God, the more you know He, he, he is loving. The more you know of God, the more you have assurance that He's going to accomplish. And guess what? That translates into faith, hope, and love. So you double down. Lord, I need to be in the Word more. I need to be with other believers. And by the way, don't discount the value of virtuous role models. They are needed today. Paul does this. Next week, as we dive into the next passage of, of verses, you'll see that Paul, he writes in verse 6, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. We need those models of virtue. Not to puff up those people, but to point to say, that's what walking with Christ looks like. And give God the glory. So we seek to determine, we determine to seek Christ more, to be in the Word, to be with other believers, and then decide. Now, this is what I mean. Our flesh will fight a long battle against us. Okay? So even as we do these first two, there's still going to be that tendency to slide back into sinful patterns that we've established. This is where, as we seek to grow with the Lord, we learn to slow down. And when a stressful event happens, decide how to respond. In your heart, you may feel like 
blowing up or withdrawing. But in your mind, you say, no, Lord, let me respond with faith, hope, and love. It's this internal conversation where before we act, we think. Isn't that a novel idea? Before we speak, we think. Didn't James write, beloved, be quick to listen, slow to speak. So we don't expect our responses to be changed overnight. However, we do expect them to change for God's glory. So two levels as I bring this to a conclusion. Church, what will be said of Trinity? As the culture around us changes, and we recognize that it is becoming and will continue to become antagonistic toward our faith, how will we respond? Let us resolve that we will be a church that is described with faith, hope, and love, even, even when pressure mounts. And that happens as the members of this body seek to be people of faith, hope, and love. So how will you respond? Now I want to ask you to bow your head with me. Every one of us in here faces stress, pressure. No one's exempt from it. And the reality is there are times we've responded to it well and there are times we have responded to it sinfully. Acknowledge that. Right now, thank God for the times that you've responded to stress with faith, hope, and love. Thank the Lord because that's His power at work within us. And now take a moment to confess those times where you have responded in the flesh. Where the words of your mouth and the meditations of your heart were not from God. Confess that and experience His grace. Father, thank You for Your faithful love. Thank You for the hope we have that You began a good work within us and that You will see it through to the day of completion in Christ Jesus. Help us, Father, that these virtues will be synonymous with our walk in You so that You will be honored through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you.